Radio One, its sponsors or advertisers. Ah, mon Afrique, réveille-toi. Il est midi. Tu dors encore. Réveille-toi. N'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'a fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Africananga oyamba toi cheveux crépus toi mayele bo simbani babige oya bilanga bo simbani bakongo simbani maboko monguna le kate o africa malobate mon salande muindo yangolo africa mobali ya mingao africa tu gâtes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, quand les gros ont souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Les gros ont combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. Welcome to Congo Live on this beautiful Saturday morning here in Baltimore. This is your host, Patricia Lokwa, joining me with Kambali, who's on the phone with us today. Kambali, how are you? Well, well, well. It's warm in Chicago as well. It's not the windy city that you expect. Even though it's windy, it's not as cold as you'll expect. Very sunny day here in Chicago. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I've just been keeping up with the news and what's going on in Paris. Uh, it's been very sad to see uh, the, what people are facing every single day, uh, just the challenges of being safe in our everyday lives. I know I have family there. Um, they all checked in. They told me they were safe. Uh, were you able to get in contact with some of your family members? Yeah, actually, I have a few friends uh, who live in Paris, and they are all safe. You know, it's a staunch reminder to us about the importance of uh, being safe, as you mentioned. You know, uh, many people around the world, even in the Congo, uh, live in that type of uh, fear on a daily basis, you know, where hundreds of people are killed on a daily basis, uh, be it in Congo and other places. Uh, so we definitely sending our condolences to the families of those uh, who have lost loved ones. Uh, we want to make sure to let the world know that, you know, this is a heinous crime and that uh, the Congolese people are also uh, feeling the pain that the French uh, people are feeling at this moment. It definitely is a humanitarian issue that uh, it, it, it gives more importance to what we do on this show where you talk about not just the positive things, but to remember what is going on in the Congo as we listen to what is happening in Paris, to remember that. Not only does this happen in Paris, like you mentioned, it is happening all around the world and in specific in the Congo. So it brings value, at least for me, uh, with what I do on the radio every day. Um, we do have a great show for you today. We're going to have Nyanemo Sanguma, who will be calling us directly from the Congo, who has been working over the years with hundreds of farmers, helping them bring their produce from the remote areas of Congo to Kinshasa. So we're very excited to have him on the show with us today. But before we do, Kambali, I know you have uh, some news for us on what's happening on the ground regarding the Congo. The most disputed national dialogue in the Congo appears to have taken upstream. I mentioned it last time we had the show, uh, but various news agencies have, are reporting right now that the dialogue uh, so by Joseph Kabila, the president of the Congo, will in fact take place mainly between the opposition party of Etienne Chisekedi and President Kabila. 
Uh, it is quite sad to see this happening. Uh, Chisikedi has been recovering from health challenges in Europe, but he's said to be ready to return to the DRC to lead his uh, party's delegation into the talks with Kabila. UDPS is the only major party in the opposition right now that is participating in this so-called dialogue. The other parties, they have said that this dialogue is employed by President Kabila to prolong his stay in power. The Episcopal Conference of the DRC, mainly the, the main arm of the Catholic Church, agrees to the dialogue um, dynamics, but it says that they want it to address the electoral calendar uh, for the presidential election coming up. Um, the members of one of the G7 political parties was attacked by security forces in Kataga this week. This is actually sad news. Uh, Union Nationale des Fédéralistes du Congo, UNAFEC, led by a long-time big man, Katanga Kyunga Wakumwanza, uh, came under attack from Congo security forces. Uh, the attack was denounced by Kyungu and Moïse Katumbi, who was the former governor of the Katanga province. Um, on two liner notes, uh, the first one is coming to us from the Congolese community here in Chicago. Uh, a group named Game Changer is organizing a conference today with uh, three of Congolese members of parliament, Honorable Martin Fayulu, Honorable Ev Bazaiba, and Honorable Jean-Bertrand Ewangat. All three of them are today in Chicago to meet with the Congolese community here to engage them in uh, letting them know the pressing time that we are facing in the Congo and getting the support to engage uh, more forcefully for change on the ground. The event is taking place at Crown Plaza Chicago O'Hare Hotel in Rosemont, uh, Rosemont Illinois, which is just right outside of Chicago. Uh, you can look for more information on the Game Changer Facebook page. And the last wonderful news comes to us from the, a Congolese soccer team, uh, Tepe Manzembe. Last week, we mentioned uh, to our listener that on Sunday, they will be at the, in the finals. The good news is Tepe Mazembe beat the Algerian team to win the African Cup for the fifth time. Many believe that this will heighten the popularity of its owner, Moïse Katumbi, who was the former governor of Katanga, but many Congolese also around the world have been joining the Tepe Mazembe team in this win as one of the most positive things that has happened this past week in the Congo. La conviction intime d'un 
musician. Lima is a pianist, guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter, as well as a film composer. He worked for the National Ballet of Congo in the 1980s. In this song, Lima speaks of the Congolese who have maimed, who have been maimed by the war in the Congo, which has taken the lives of millions of Congolese. With the Congo being a country that has known so much suffering, its unrealized potential is something that is rarely heard of in the mainstream media, a country being the size of the Western Um, Europe having the second largest rainforest in the world after the Amazon and holding 42% of Africa's freshwater reserves and having 71 million people living on that land that we call the Congo. This show we will explore possibilities that exist to make Congo the breadbasket not only of Africa but of the world. We have our guest Nyenemo Sanguma who will be who is actually calling us from the Congo and who will be discussing with us uh, of his organization called the Congolese Community Development. And uh, welcome on the show. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing very good. Thank you very much for having me. And how is the weather there in the Congo? I'm always interested in finding out what's happening. And this is, you're actually the first person who's calling us from the ground. So this is exciting for us. Yeah, well, it feels good to be here. Um, and it's, uh, it's such a wonderful uh, weather. Um, I got here two days ago from Chicago. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's good to be here. kind of miss my wife and kid, but it's good to be here in uh, warmer weather. Um, it has been raining a lot because mm-hmm. um, now it's, uh, you know, Kinshasa. I'm in Kinshasa, and they're experience, um, they have, uh, it's the raining season right now. So um, it has been uh, raining for two days uh, uh, here, but uh, it's it's nice. It's warm, nice, and um, yeah, cool breeze. I like it. Well, uh, we definitely want to find out a little bit more about your organization, the Congolese Community Development. But first, let's uh, have Kambali share a little bit about your bio. So those who don't know, you can get an opportunity to uh, find out a little bit more. And I'm very thankful, uh, Nyenemo, for you making the time uh, from the ground to give us a call. And for our listeners, I hope that you will learn more about the work that he's doing through the show. He was born in the DRC, uh, our guest, Nyenemo, and moved to the U.S. at the age of 14 after having earned a master's degree in international public service from DePaul University in Chicago. Mr. Sanguma developed the Congolese Community Development uh, Organization. Uh, this organization trains and assists rural farmers to increase agriculture production and enable them to bring their produce to bigger, more lucrative markets. Yenemo, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. As uh, Kambali shares your bio, I know uh, the organization you run is called the Congolese Community for Development. Can you share a little bit with our listeners, what, is the, what, do, we, what do you do and uh, what got you into wanting to do that? Okay. So basically, uh, Congolese Community Development is a uh, local not-for-profit here in Congo. Um, And what we do is we uh, go to villages and we recruit, um, we don't call them, they're not really farmers, but um, here in the Congo, a lot of people that live in the villages, they will farm just to maintain their families. So they're not professional farmers. So basically what we do, we go to these villages, we recruit them, we provide them with training, um, we provide them with um, uh, materials, and the materials are not given free. So we give them, um, uh, we lend them these materials. Um, we, prov- we lend them uh, certified seeds, um, and uh, we um, we give them you know we lend them money to uh, maintain the farm so they can produce a lot of goods, and um, we assist them on transporting the, the goods from the villages all the way to the city so they can sell for more profit. Um, because when they grow food, um, and they sell it in the village, they don't make enough money to uh, add things like salt or sugar to their diets or sending their kids to school. So when they're able to bring their produce um, and bring it to the bigger markets, they sell it for more money and they're able to um, use that money to sustain their families. So as you're talking about training them and microfinancing them and also finding markets for them, uh, which area in specific do you work in the Congo? So we work in uh, the uh, Equateur region, which is northwest of Congo. Um, 
And the big city um, that we're working in is, uh, the nearest big city is called Gemena. But we work in villages between Gemena and Akula, which is a river port um, that, you know, the Congo River runs from Akula all the way down to Kinshasa. So uh, we are in the northwest of Congo. I can hear uh, in your voice you're very passionate about uh, what you do. I want to find out a little bit more about why did you choose agriculture uh, versus any other field um, in going to college? Why agriculture? Well, um, I, um, well I, I didn't study um, agronomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was... Um, you know, was like most African mom, uh, a farmer. You know, she would farm to sustain us. Um, so I grew up. Uh, you know, she will send us to the farm. You know, we'll go get fruit. You know, mm-hmm. plant things of that nature. And um, so when I came, to, when I moved to the states, I was always passionate about that, and I was always passionate about doing work in the Congo. So um, before getting my master's degree, I went to do some. Um, uh, internship in the Congo, um, working for uh, this organization, and um, I was talking to the people, and um, they this is what they wanted. Um, basically, the problem was that they um, they're able to produce things in the villages, mm-hmm. um, but they cannot produce enough because they don't have the capital to um, to assist them to produce a lot of goods, and they don't have the training um, to produce a lot of goods. Um, and they will also want to bring their produce, if they produce them, to Kinshasa, the bigger city, because they can sell it for more profit. Uh, so um, it's, um, I, I don't want to take credit for this. Um, I did not create it. Um, you know, it was the people in the villages who came up with this idea. Um, and I asked for like very little funding from uh, this big organization in Canada called the Hope International Development Agency. They've been very great and they've been supporting us ever since. Um, so yeah, we started running it as a um, a project pilot, and it worked very well. Um, and um, the first year we worked with uh, 100 people. That was in 2012, and in 2015 we were working with uh, 500 people. So um, yeah, my mom got me into this um, because, and I mean, in Equatorial, um, this is the the only thing people can do. Um, for, uh, you know, for the economy, and this is the only way out. Um, it is, uh, you know, farming, because you don't have a lot of um, natural resources like um, mm-hmm. other um, regions in the Congo have, so agriculture is our main thing. You know, um, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Congo Business Case. Have you? Uh, uh, the Congo what? Congo Business Case. I don't think I've seen it. Okay. So for for closing me on this. (laughs) (laughs) So for our listeners also, uh, Congo Business Case was one of the films that we show for Congo in Harlem this year. And it follows a a European um, young man who worked for UN organization, decided to leave, and then um, came back to the Congo because he was frustrated in seeing how international aid was not really helping people become self-sufficient, not providing them with crops and foods, but he didn't like what the UN was doing. So he decided to do exactly what you are doing, which is kind of interesting. So the film follows him, how he went back to Europe, came back to the Congo with some cash 
to help farmers. He was going village to village, but he was growing manioc. Uh, but the reason why I'm bringing this is um, he had a very uh, bad experience doing this work because, one, he didn't make profits. Uh, he, he became very frustrated with the very small margin, and uh, his business failed. In about one year, he completely failed the enterprise and returned to uh, to Europe. So the premise of the film was to show how difficult agriculture is. Now, I'm, while I saw the film and the filmmaker was there, you know, that's what kind of touched me was we have young Congolese who are doing the same thing and they're doing it successfully. Um, you know. What I would like to hear from the challenges that he had, uh, what are the challenges that you, you face uh, while doing this project of empowering farmers, but how did you overcome them? And also, what type of crops are you growing? Okay. So uh, I will go ahead and answer the crop that we're growing is corn. Um, so, yeah, uh, Congo is a challenging environment um, when it comes to business. Um, and I, will, I have a lot of examples to prove. Uh, but, you know, another example is um, before we started working with the farmers, um, they were not producing enough corn, okay? So when they're not producing enough corn, they're just produ- producing enough um, to feed themselves and their kids and, you know, some to trade to buy very little things. Um, but when we started uh, financing their work, producing um, you know, training them, they were producing a lot of corn, um, and we were shipping them from the villages all the way to Kinshasa, okay? So these are, our, you know, poor farmers producing a lot of goods. Um, so it got a lot of attention, and it's still getting a lot of attention from politicians. So, for example, um, you know, we will go to a city port in Akula, um, and, you know, they would charge, like, you know, a crazy amount of tax that the farmers have to pay. Um, and, you know, these, you know, these money are coming from the farmers, you know. Um, so it's kind of difficult um, to do that um, for the farmers to, you know, work, you know, in like corrupt, uh, in a government that is, you know, kind of corrupt. Um, people are trying to take advantage of the very poor. Um, so it, it's very difficult. But also at the same time, the farmers don't have other choice, you know. Um, that's the only way they can do things here. Um, and no matter how difficult or how bitter it might be, um, they overcome it. And, um, you know, I, I get discouraged very easily when it comes to things like that. Uh, but I work with, you know, arduous farmers, you know, very um, encouraging. Um, so when I see them not, you know, getting... Um, you know, uh, when, when I see them, you know, overcoming all of this, I have no other choice but you know, to be encouraged and working uh, with them. So, yeah, it, it is very difficult, you know, um, corruption, you know, they will tax them. And when they tax, we don't see the receipts. Um, and there are times where they're taxing and, you know, when the farmers are paying, the, the officials will take the money and then start, you know, repaying their debt. They would buy things for their families, in front, you know, in front of the farmers, in front of us. Um, which is kind of, um, you know, uh, hard to swallow. Uh, but, you know, it's an environment, and uh, hopefully uh, things uh, might change for the better. Uh, 
As I'm uh, listening to you, it's very interesting. Um, many people don't know this about me, but when I was really young, I used to go to the village in the Equatel region with my mother, and she actually used to transport corn. And uh, I had the opportunity of traveling with her on the local boats um, where we would meet the locals. And some of the things that you're mentioning regarding even corruption, uh, as a very young girl, I remember, you know, there's different checkpoints. A lot of people, when you're thinking about transport, it's not the way that uh, you may see it here in the USA. It's not just like you put it on a train and it goes. You have different checkpoints that you're going through and there's sand dunes that a lot of these boats get stuck on. And some of these payments may not always even be money. Sometimes people, they just want you to give them a bag of So you may have calculated that you have 500 bags of corn once you reach Kinshasa to sell. And by the time you get to Kinshasa, because you're paying so many people off, you have to kind of take deductions. So I absolutely understand uh, what you're speaking of. A question I have for you is, have you had the opportunity when you're transporting these goods from where it may be in Equatel to Kinshasa? Do you go on these trips with these farmers? Uh, well, it's, it's very challenging, um, and I think my wife wouldn't uh, let me, uh, you know, take that journey. It's, it's <laughs> I um, can imagine. But I, um, I, I want to do that only if I don't tell my wife. Um, so we have, um, so the, the, the work is very want to encourage farmers to be very um, independent mm-hmm. of the organization. Of course, we give them, we provide them with the training, um, we provide them with the loans. Um, but when it comes to things, you know, they're very organized. We organize them in a way that they get to choose representatives from their own villages mm. to bring the corn to Kinshasa. Um, they get to do the transport. Um, they, they get to sell their corn in Kinshasa. You know, we have the most organization. So it's more like hands-on training for the farmers. And uh, me and my staff, what we do is more like we assist them. We see how things are going. Of course, when they sell those things, we don't want to keep the money outside. We will take it to the bank. Uh, but everything is very transparent to the point where they know that, um, and you know, you know, bring bring the money to the to the bank, and they know where the money is taken, and they have representatives that are under the bank as well. So um, the training, yeah. Um, I, I, I seen what happens and uh, I'm on the boat and it's uh, it, it's not uh, it's not a easy journey and uh, last year was actually kind of tr- um, bad for us because um, we lost about uh, five thousand sacks of corn in the Congo River mm-hmm. um, each sack weighing 150 kilograms so that was a big loss for the farmers oh, wow. um, but these are kind of the challenges that uh, we face. Um, and it was only the first time since, you know, it was the first time that it happened. Uh, but these are some of the challenges that we face. Um, but like I said, they have no choice. Um, and, um, you know, that's the only way they can make it. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're also um, working hard to uh, make things uh, better for them. Let's run some numbers. You know, uh, last time we were together, you were sharing some of the numbers, which I also saw on your, the Congo, uh, Congolese uh, Community Development Facebook page, where uh-huh. you were talking about tons of corn. Like, I just can't picture how many bags is one ton of corn. And to mm-hmm. think of you know, your farmers moving tons and tons of corn from one place to another, like, what? How are the numbers, you know, cost-wise, how much is a bag of corn uh, when you move it to, so, like, one ton? What does it actually mean? Okay. So, for example, um, one sack of corn is about 130 kilograms 
I'm not sure if I can uh, translate that. Um, I think 60 pounds or 65 pounds. Um, but uh, uh, please don't quote me on this. <laughs> um, so when, um, for example, before we started working with the farmers, um, when they didn't have the training and the finance um, assistance, they would make three sacks per season, and each season is six months, okay? And if they sell it, they will make, they will make $60, they'll make $30 per season, which means $60 per year. So when we started working with them the first year, in 2012, um, they started for, you know, instead of three sacks, they averaged um, a 10 sack per person, um, and the average money that they made that year was $210 you know, um, compared to the $60 they made, the, you know, um, the year before. Wow. Um, the second oh, year, wow. 2013, we um, went up to 20 sacks of corn uh, per farmer, and the, uh, the cash they made uh, was 350 um, And um, 2014, um, that's the, you know, that's the year where they made a lot of, you know, made a lot of sacks. They were supposed to make about 500 per person. Um, but things didn't go well. But this year, um, we're very, uh, you know, they're, they're sacking Kinshasa ready to be sold. And if everything goes well, the market's price, um, each farmer is expected to get at least $750. And the amount that I'm giving are the ones that they get after they pay their loans and other, um, you know, other uh, fees. Wow. 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 Um, I definitely want to find out a little bit more about how do you select the farmers and to get a little bit more in depth regarding uh, what you do in the Congo. But before you do, uh, let's take a short break and uh, we'll be right back. And 
welcome back to Congo Live. Uh, for our listeners who want to participate in this conversation, we want to remind you to call at 410-481-1010. Your questions are always welcome. Our number is 410-481-1010. And the song you were just listening to for our musical break was Ricardo Lembo singing Tata Masamba. Ricardo Lembo is a Congolese-born musician of Angolan descent who lives in Los Angeles, California. His music is a blend of African sukus, rumba, kizomba, samba, and Cuban salsa. This song, Tata Masamba, was released in 1996 as part of his first musical album. A little-known fact about this grandfather, a Christian pastor, uh, Juano Matantu Ndundundu, was the first Angolan translate uh, the Congolese Bible in Kikongo. Kambale, you may be able to actually translate that name better than I can. I'm not really good. <laughs> I think I just murdered him. You want to try to, we want to give it a try? How do you say the name? Oh, you did well. You did well. Um, I think that fact about his grandfather is quite interesting. You know, Matantundundulu is just uh, as straight as you said it. Um, but the fact that back in the early 1800s, you had uh, people from the Congo Kingdom uh, who were multilingual. Uh, you know, his father was a missionary in the 1800s, um, and he translated the Bible from uh, English to Kikongo. Speaking of uh, multi-languages, a question I have for our guest today, um, what are some challenges you face? I know, uh, do you speak Lingala? And these regions that you go to, I know uh, where I'm from, I'm not sure if it's the same area, they have Kimongo, they have different kinds of languages, Kikongo, as we're mentioning right now. Do you have language challenges that you face with some of these uh, farmers that you select? No, not at all. Um, I uh, I speak Lingala, mm-hmm. um, which is of course the main language um, in Ecuador and also um, in most of the places in the Congo. Um, I speak uh, Nguaka, which is the local dialect. So most of our farmers are from uh, that ethnic group, and that's the language that they speak. Um, and um, there are other um, other ethnic groups in those villages as well, but uh, they all understand Sumbwaka and Lingala very well, so uh, we don't have a lot of uh, lingual uh, misunderstanding. So as I, um, sorry, but I know you wanted to say something, but this question is, I just wanted to put this out there. Um, like, let's say right now you're working in a specific region. Uh, it seems that the growth is happening at more than 100% uh, growth rate. Eventually, do you see yourself expanding to different regions of the Congo? And if so, how do you, you know, how do you plan on facing some of those challenges when we're sp- speaking of uh, language barriers? <laughs> um, well, uh- uh, as you know, um, Congo is a, is, a, is a very vast country. Absolutely. Um, and um, yeah, so I um, I'm not sure how uh, if that's uh, that's um, that I'm, I'm not sure at this time or at this point in the organization if we want to go to other region, mm-hmm. uh, but we really want to make. Um, this, uh, like the, the the region where we're working in, uh, very sustainable. Meaning that we train people, you know, and every two or three years, when we know they're solid enough and they have enough capital to continue doing their work, mm-hmm. um, you know, we leave them. Then we move to different uh, um, different uh, villages. Um, so, I mean, it might take. Uh, probably more than 10 years for us to move in other areas, you know, uh, besides Equator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're always, um, always um, connecting with, you know, local NGOs, 
um, that are interested in our program and they want to do it. Um, you know, we're always willing to bring people in our region to train them mm-hmm. or train young leaders that would, um, if they have funding, you know, they can pursue, pursue these kind of uh, work um, in other regions. So um, although we're not, you know, we're not planning on doing it, um, working in, you know, different regions, um, but we're always ready to train. And, yeah, we have been training uh, some organizations and also some um you know, share our ideas with mm. um, people who are interested in, uh, you know, um, doing the framework that we're doing. A text message question coming from one of our listeners is that uh, the person is curious to know uh, the income from the farmers, how it has changed their lives, you know, from $70 to 200 to an expected $700 a year now, you know, comparing it to also the li- life here and our life back on the ground. What kind of life change that income made into their lives? Okay, good. That's a very good question. Um, so before we started working in these villages, there were um, the income for, that, um, for, for those villages, $60 per year, Okay. So let's say, um, and the families that we're working with, the average family, they have five kids because we survey them. You know, each family has five kids. Um, these kids, they have, they, you know, they need to go to school, um, and they're frequently sick because of the malaria. So let's say that if one kid is sick and they go to the clinic, local clinic, it will cost them 10,000 Congolese francs, which is basically $10, you know, to get treatment. So let's say that that kid gets sick. Um, if all the kids get sick only once, you know, that's basically, that's about $60, you know, and that's like the entire amount of the money that the farmers were making that year. You know, and if you add, you know, school, because, you know, kids have to pay tuition, which is about 3,000 Congolese francs per month. You know, if you add that, that's 12,000 per year, you know, for one student, so if, um, for one kid. So if you add a time, you know, five kids, you know, so it, it makes things more challenging, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, last, you know, currently we're expecting $750, um, you know, revenue for farmers this year, which is great, and this will help a lot. Uh, and... Um, the farmers I work with, they are hardworking. Um, they're very good managers, especially the, the, the women. Um, I, I really love working with them because I can see them, you know, they take care of their kids. Um, they send their kids to university with the amount of money they're making, you know. Um, they, you know, they, they do other business, you know. They will buy things like clothes and then they will sell them because they don't have uh, banks in the villages where they can keep their money. So they will invest the money in buying things like salt or sugar, and then they will continue selling it, and then they will uh, continue to generate some money. So, yeah, like I was saying, um, you know, uh, there are five families, um, five, uh, you know, most families, they have five kids, um, and things are expensive, um, you know, um, in the Congo. So uh, although they're making $350, $500, or maybe $750 this year, um, that's a lot of money, um, and it, of course, it will help them, um, uh, you know, um, improve their lives, livelihood. In working on this project, uh, what is one thing that you are very proud of? Um, 
I am very proud of because okay, uh, a lot of people when they talk about Congo, they talk about a lot of negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't see the good things in the Congo. Um, they will talk about corrupt politicians. They will talk about which which is true. They will talk about um, uh, rape. Um, which is true, it happens in the Congo. They will talk about civil wars, which, of course, devastated our country um, for so long. Um, but, you know, when I'm in the Congo and I see the women who would work so hard in their farm, you know, um, because they know that, that's the, you know, just seeing them working so hard and working so passionately and not complaining, um, that gives me the best, um, best feeling ever, or you know, when we are exchanging ideas and they come up with great ideas that you know I never heard even from some of my professors at DePaul in Chicago. You know, it, it just gives give me great joy. So um, Congolese, they're not different. You know, they are as smart as people in the United States or Europe or you know in other places in Africa. They are hardworking people, like in other places. So um, when I'm in the Congo and I see, you know, all of these right things, you know, it just gives me so much joy and it makes me proud um, to be Congo. I think we're just listening to you. I'm just getting very emotional. You know, we try to do what we can here in the USA, but to come across somebody who is doing things where they're getting instant tangible results and they're seeing it firsthand. It's just a, an inspiration, I can say to me, and I hope to many people who are listening to the show. And I'm looking on your website right now. I see the team of people that you work with. Uh, it seems to me that everybody who's on your team is in the Congo or are Congolese. Uh, is there a specific reason you chose to take that path or is it just coincidental? It's, it's not coincidental. It's, uh, we're very purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're all Congolese. Um, they all live in the community. Um, and they are all young kids um, or, or young people. You know, they're still in college. Their age runs from 20 to 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, you know, they are, you know, uh, I think they are the best coworkers I ever had in my life. And, I, you know, they can, you know, they can run anything. I want to believe that if they can make an organization like a Congolese Community Development successful in the Congo, a place where it's very challenging to do business, I think they can run anything. And I think they have a bright future. Um, so, yeah, they're all Congolese. They all live in the community. And um, they are, you know, they're passionate about what we're doing. And, um, yeah, a lot of the, 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 the villagers, the farmers that we work with, they, you know, we have a very good relationship. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we I, I thought it was, um, I wanted to empower the Congolese um, because um, there are a lot of organizations that when they come to, um, to Congo, you know, they always bring foreigners um, and which is good sometimes, but and sometimes it gives the idea that you know Congolese are not able to do things on their own, and that's the mentality that I um, I don't appreciate. You know, I'm Congolese. I work with you know young Congolese, and we work with Congo, you know just want to make sure that no, you don't have to wait for you know um, a foreigner coming from uh, Canada or um, New York or Brazil, whatever. 
to go to Congo and help you come out of your misery. You know, you can do it yourself. We are a Congolese. We can do it. Um, and let's, let's not expect other people from other places um, to do it for us. We can do it. And, um, yeah, that's one of the things that inspired me to get um, work with all Congolese um, staff. Um, earlier this year, you were interviewed on Radio Kapi, and uh, there's a quote that you said, um, I don't feel American. I feel Congolese. Also, I think that America doesn't need me. I think my country needs me, and it is a duty to go back to work in the Congo. And I want to find out a little bit more about that quote. Let's take a short break, and uh, we'll come back on the show, and we'll talk a little bit about why you said that. Listeners, again, if uh, you didn't have an opportunity to get the number the last time, the number is 410-481-1010. And you were just listening to Freddy Masamba, a singer-songwriter from Congo Brazzaville. He's also known for his soul, hip-hop, funk, and African music and style. And in this song, he's describing the lavishing style of the Congolese appels using in the metaphor glory, Kembo in the Congolese language, Kikongo. 
and uh, welcome back on the show, everybody. Um, we were just talking about a quote that uh, you said on Radio Kapi, and uh, just for those that didn't get an opportunity to hear it, you said, I don't feel American. I feel Congolese also. I think that America doesn't need me. I think my country needs me, and it is a duty to go back to work in the Congo. Why in specific did you say that quote, and um, why do you feel that Congo needs you more than maybe America? Well, I, I, I just think it is true. Um, mm. I think uh, America is a great country. Um, I'm very thankful for what it has done, you know, because uh, you know, there was civil war here in the Congo, and uh, we had to run away, and um, America was um, the perfect place. I got my education. I got more, most of my training there um, in the state. Um, but uh, as much as I like it, and as much as um, you know, it has done too much. Um, I feel like they have a lot of professionals. They have a lot of um, uh, smart people um, who can bring the country forward, and um, they don't need my help. Um, so uh, when I came to Congo. Um, for the first time in 10 years, um, I just knew that I had to do something. Looking at, you know, how people lived and how difficult the conditions were and, um, like, the little education I had, um, I knew that, you know, it was, it was just a natural thing for me to do, um, you know, to work in the Congo. Um, I, I felt like, yeah, um, people in my region, you know, needed, you know, people like me, mm-hmm. um, you know, to exchange ideas and help, you know, rebuild the country. So, yeah, um, it's very interesting that you brought that quote. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I truly believe in that. And um, I'm very happy, very proud of what I do here. And I'm also glad that I got my education. I'm, I'm very thankful um, to America. And, um, yeah, of course, I have an American wife and an American kid. Um, but they share the same passion for Congo, and they have been very supportive of that. So I'm very, um, very thankful and very glad that I'm in this kind of family. So the question, actually, they asked you uh, when you gave that uh, answer was when you were in Guinea Equatorial uh, during a Congolese soccer game. And I know you were a soccer fan. Did you celebrate yes. Tepe Mazembe's win? And how did you do so? Well, can, you, can you repeat the last part of the question? Yeah, how did you celebrate Tepe Mazembe's win? You know, Tepe Mazembe just won the oh African my Cup. Gosh. It, it, <laughs> it, it is a great, it is a great thing. You know, um, yeah, I, I love all the. You know, I support the national team, but also, I, you know, I love soccer. And um, so, anything with Congo, you know, when they play, I'm, you know, I always have my full support. And I hope, I uh, will hope uh, that we will make it to the World Cup in 2018 in Russia. Um, it is a big dream of mine, so um, I'm really looking forward. And yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, I got here probably three days after their win, um, and there were people still <laughs> celebrating it. They're still in that mood. Oh, and wow. um, of course, uh, there is a big game tomorrow um, for the qualification for the World, uh, World Cup qualifiers. They're playing Burundi, so of course I'll definitely be at the stadium to support. So yeah, I love soccer. I love Congo, and um, I'm pretty sure you guys do too. Yeah, I was uh, actually thinking about um, the ob- the obligation that you feel to go back home and to want to help. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, um, whether it be American or Congolese, uh, around the world who may want to also find out more about your organization, ways where they can help or where they can contact you. How can people reach to you? 
Okay, well, we have a page on uh, a Facebook page called um, Congolese Community Development. Um, if they just look for that, they will find it. And we also have a, um, a website. It is called um, CongoleseCommunityDevelopment.org, um, and they can find uh, some information there as well. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's not a big organization. You know, it's a very small local organization that is focused on, you know, farmers, you know, in a specific region. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's a very small, um, you know, organization, but we are very happy and we're very proud of the work that we're doing. And, uh, yeah, so if people are interested in knowing more, they can always go to those sites on our Facebook page. Um, Congolese Community Development, or on our website, CongoleseCommunityDevelopment.org, they can find more information about our work. I just, um, I wanted to say something. I don't know why, why I feel the need to say this, but a lot of times when we're doing work, we don't necessarily see the value and the importance because you're so consumed in the everyday just struggle of trying to get by. And as I hear you, you know, you're saying this is just a small development, or, you know, we're just something small. I want to commend you personally for what you're doing because it really gives hope to us Congolese from the outside because as you've mentioned, there's constant negativity when we hear about what's happening in the Congo and to come across in a dark space, uh, a glimpse of light, it's, it sets a direction for us to follow. And I just want to say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, don't look at it as something small because it's big for not only for the people who you're affecting their lives every single day. It's big for us to look at you and say, not only are you doing it from the outside, you're going on the ground and you're working one on one with these people and you're impacting their lives in a way where, you know, not a, not every single day you have people doing this and you're also Congolese. So yeah. I just want to congratulate you and give you a pat on the back on my behalf, because <laughs> a lot of times we don't always um do that. And I want to thank you just in general for being on Congo Live. And the last question we always ask our uh, guests who are on the show, Kambale, you want to ask a, a question or you oh, want yes. me to go for it? Yes, yes. I'm actually going to change it up a little bit. All right. What's your hope for the future of the Congo? I love that question. Um, I want people um, to know, I want the Congolese people to know that no matter how small or how uh, people, um, um, how, how the big people, the officials, the politicians, the government, when they don't take care of them, they can take care of themselves. You know, they can run the country. They can make a decision. They don't have to rely. Um, and I, yeah, I, I want Congolese to understand that um, they hold their destiny, their own destiny, and they have the power to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do. And, you know, um, I don't want them to think that few people on the top can take advantage of them or do that. So, yeah, I want Congolese to take charge, you know, and, um, you know, run, you know, our beautiful country. And uh, that was very beautiful. And I hope our listeners, if you have not had an opportunity to go on CongoleseCommunityDevelopment.org, please do. There's amazing pictures on there and you can find out more about this great organization doing uh, great work in the Congo and impacting people's lives in such a great way. We also uh, want to thank you for joining us today from the Congo. Uh, hopefully we win tomorrow. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure we will. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Patricia, thank you, uh, Kambali. It's, uh, it's a great honor to be on uh, this show. And thank you for uh, raising awareness on our country. That's such a, 
a great thing, and I'm very thankful for that. And thank you. And say hello to everybody in Kinshasa Forest. Tell them that uh, they're in our hearts and they're on our minds, and we're constantly working towards a, a better Congo and a better future. And we want to, no, not a problem. Uh, we want to also thank uh, Kambali. Thank you for joining us today. I'm sure you're going to be enjoying your weekend. Indeed. And thank uh, Shay. And we want to thank Tabilulu Productions and Lubangi Munyanya for everything that he does for us. And we want to thank our listeners because without you, we would not be able to do this. And uh, we look forward to seeing you and hearing from you next week. <laughs> Totika bamboka musika Tokende koluka pomoima Tokoma mitelengano Namboka mopaya Nania sungayo Pasina pasie Akei kasilubi na kozonga Atandeleo Mopembo Ah, Pasho yo ele kie niño colo Boca ya mupaya pasiba ninga Atandele toko zonga kin chasao Pembenia bayeba dakayo Atandele toko zonga mboka o Boca babota biso Kasi lubi na kusonga, na kusonga. Mopembo, ezali, 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 ezali